Welcome to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about the first week of spring session at the Illinois State House and the latest in the back and forth on the migrant crisis. I'll then join the Center Square's Dan McCaleb to further discuss those stories and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Are you tired of news that puts politics over people? At the nonprofit Franklin News Foundation, we believe in putting people over politics by delivering nonpartisan news and audio content that serves you, the American taxpayer. With Franklin News Foundation, you can read fact-based, state-focused news for free at thecentersquare.com. You can listen to civil, balanced conversations between policy experts through our podcast network at americastalking.com. Or you can get in-depth news on K-12 education spending, curriculum, and school safety at chalkboardnews.com. It's all free through Franklin, where we put you, the American taxpayer, first in every story, episode, and conversation. And it's only possible through our supporters. Together, we can produce content that puts people over politics and brings Americans the news they deserve. Become a supporter today at franklinnews.org donate. Once again, that's franklinnews.org slash donate. Welcome back to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Illinois House Democrats are forming a working group to address the ongoing migrant crisis impacting the state. Republicans say it needs to be made public. Democratic State Representative Cam Buckner is a member of the newly created New Arrivals Working Group. Bring some ideas together, both from a policy standpoint and a fiscal standpoint. We've got a lot of different people with different backgrounds on this uh, on this uh, committee, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting together to figure out how we can move forward. Illinois House Speaker Emanuel Chris Welch said the migrant crisis, quote, provides challenges and opportunities that require thoughtful engagement and consensus building. Republican State Representative Dan Calkins, who recently traveled to the southern U.S. border, said Democrats need to open the meetings up to the public. Let the people come in from the neighborhoods that are affected. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it out in the open. Not some small working group that's going to give the governor cover over trying to figure it out. Meanwhile, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is responding to Republicans that want to end the state's migrant sanctuary status. At an unrelated event outside of Springfield Thursday, Pritzker dismissed the notion of ending the state's sanctuary status. You know, the discussion about, you know, being a welcoming state or a sanctuary state, all of that discussion has always been about what are we going to do about the undocumented people who've been here for decades. State law says state and local law enforcement cannot assist federal immigration officers in enforcing immigration law if that's the sole issue against someone. Earlier in the week, State Senator Andrew Chesney said the policy has to end, even with consideration of those seeking asylum. We need to anticipate that we are going to communicate with federal authorities when the 80% of those applications are anticipated to be rejected. Data compiled by the National Immigration Forum shows in fiscal year 2016, only 28% of those seeking asylum were granted that legal status. Meanwhile, the governor says with Illinois' gun ban rules in place, the registry of now-banned items will be, quote, working the way it should. Last year, Pritzker banned the sale of more than 170 semi-automatic firearms, and that included a registry of January 1st. Rules for the registry were sustained Tuesday by the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules, but Republicans were able to secure a formal objection. The rule contains definitions that are subjective and open to broad interpretation by an enforcing jurisdiction. 
which leaves the regulated public without clear direction on how to comply with the rule. Jacob finds that these provisions pose a serious threat to the public interest. Wednesday, Pritzker said the rules are now in place. So now that all of that is said, I actually feel very confident that we're going to have the registration process working the way it should. And again, don't miss the big headline. You can't buy an assault weapon in the state of Illinois. Illinois State Police said they'll keep the registry open despite the January 1st deadline, noting the law does not set forth penalties for late registrations. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, I'll join the Center Square's Dan McCaleb to further discuss the news. This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Knowledge is power, and you deserve to know what happens in your state government. That's why the nonprofit Franklin News Foundation is bringing you straight news journalism through the center square, reporting on state authorities and publishing stories that show where your money goes and who spends it. By supporting the center square, you can track politicians' use of taxpayer money and demand transparency from elected officials. This is how we can equip everyday Americans to hold their government accountable. Become a supporter of Franklin today at franklinnews.org donate. Greetings and welcome to Illinois in Focus, powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, Vice President of News and Content at the Franklin News Foundation, publisher of the Center Square Newswire Service. Joining me again today is Greg Bishop, the Center Square's Illinois Capitol Bureau Senior Reporter and Editor. Greg, how are you? Good, Dan. We had a, a shorter week at the State House than we anticipated, but it uh, looks like they're going to get in the full throttle uh, heading into spring session. All right. First, we are recording this on Thursday, January 18th. Greg, as you mentioned, the Illinois General Assembly returned to session this week. And while not a whole lot got done legislatively, it does seem uh, like the ongoing migrant crisis is front and center on a lot of lawmakers' minds. House Democrats are forming a working group to address the crisis, but will be meeting behind closed doors outside of the scrutiny of taxpayers who've already paid more than $500 million on housing, food, health care, and other costs for the new arrivals. Republicans who aren't included in that working group say any discussions should be open to the public since the crisis is impacting neighborhoods across the state and taxpayers are picking up the costs. And in a news conference on the first day of session, Republicans also held their own news conference where they introduced a package of bills to address those mounting taxpayer costs. Where do you want to start, Greg? Yeah, I think uh, obviously we have to start with the ongoing disaster proclamation uh, that the governor has in place, 18 in a row, just dealing with the migrant issue. Uh, And uh, the most recent numbers are uh, around 35,000 non-citizen migrants have come to Illinois since August of 2022. Uh, So those numbers have just been increasing week after week. Uh, And then the reaction, of course, the humanitarian concerns there are. Uh, Some stories out of Chicago this week uh, indicate that uh, Chicago officials knew of unsanitary conditions at one of the shelters there. Uh, weeks before a child died at that shelter. Uh, so the humanitarian issues obviously top of mind. But as you said, it's the taxpayer cost as well that continues to balloon. Uh, so uh, there's discussions that are uh, being had, but not much out in the open. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, there's a new House Democrats working group called the New Arrivals Working Group. And that was announced on Wednesday this week. And it's got only Democrats in it, and uh, working groups are a regular thing at the Statehouse. 
where, you know, even Republicans have their own working groups, but they're typically partisan working groups where they have either private meetings in a, in a committee room or they just have private phone calls and they hash out details about whatever the subject may be. This one being created to look at the the migrant issue. And in particular, House Speaker Emanuel Chris Welch said that the migrant issue poses an opportunity uh, to address this and also to build the consensus. Now, one of the things that, uh, you know, the Republicans are concerned about is, of course, what would that consensus look like? Democrats have the supermajority at the Illinois State House, but Republicans are saying they're not they're not getting the full picture here. Uh, we have hundreds of millions of tax dollars being spent on migrant care for everything from housing to health care to food, transportation, uh, legal services for those seeking asylum, uh, being able to get paperwork lined up to uh, apply for a work permit. Uh, these are all, of course, things that are costing the Illinois taxpayer. But since we're in that disaster proclamation, it gives the administration of Governor J.B. Pritzker the ability to spend money without the checks and balances that would typically be there if it's not a disaster. We saw very similar types of operations during the COVID emergency. You know, one uh, instance that uh, some Republicans have pointed out was during COVID, you had uh, the McCormick Place uh, transferred, uh, tran- uh, transformed into a uh, emergency hospital. And that cost tens of millions of dollars. And Dan, there were only about 70 or so people that actually used that hospital. And the cost was just per patient was over the top. Uh, So, you know, that type of spending, not many checks and balances on it. So what Republicans are demanding is a couple of things. Number one, they want this working group to be done out in the open. Even State Representative Dan Calkins, who recently traveled to the southern U.S. border and also recently traveled with other House Republicans to Chicago to see some of these migrant centers, which, by the way, they were denied access to uh, once they uh, let you know the organizers know that they were state representatives wanting to see the inner workings of what's going on. Uh, Calkins suggested they have open hearings in Chicago even at one of these places, to hear from residents that are being directly affected by this. Uh, He said that they also met with residents in Chicago who shared their frustrations that they feel like they're being overlooked when it comes to resource and uh, how the resources are being uh, uh, divvied out. So uh, that's that's first and foremost. They want these hearings public. Uh, They also want uh, line by line spending of how the hundreds of millions of dollars are being spent. What kind of non-government organizations are getting this money? Uh, What uh, the contracts spell out? Are we getting a good bang for our buck Uh, or are we you know, paying for uh, the equivalent of a Lamborghini, but getting a Toyota Corolla? Uh, you know, these are the types of things that uh, Republicans are demanding for there to be transparency, uh, for there to be open conversations about this. But another thing, Dan, that Republicans are also adamant on is for the state to end its sanctuary state status. And this derives from the Trust Act, which Governor J.B. Pritzker enhanced when he first came into office. And what the Trust Act says is Local and state law enforcement cannot work with Immigration Customs Enforcement on immigration detainment orders if that's the only thing against somebody. So, for instance, if, 
you know, immigrant uh, individual A has uh, a an immigration uh, detainment order against them, and that's the only thing, then local and state police can't assist federal immigration authorities in going after that individual. They can if that individual is suspected of other crimes. But that's right. that sanctuary city and state status that Republicans say needs to be repealed. And something else, too, Dan, this kind of gets into the weeds a bit about definitions. But uh, Governor Pritzker has said time and again that the sanctuary status doesn't deal with this new round of migrants coming in, the 35,000 migrants that are coming in. He says that they are not undocumented, that they're not illegal. He says that they are here legally as asylum seekers. Uh, But Republicans counter that uh, with statistics that are out there uh, showing that the rate of actual asylum being granted to individuals seeking asylum in the United States is extremely low. And uh, I've seen other documentation showing that the rate does depend on the immigration court. But even in 2016, uh, one organization found that, what was it, close to the 80 some odd percent of individuals seeking asylum had their asylum denied. So Republicans are saying that they need to end the sanctuary state policies in the instance that these individuals in the state, 35,000 or so, seeking asylum, if their asylum is denied, they shouldn't be in this country anymore. Uh, so those are some of the major issues that Republicans are pointing out. Uh, Democrats saying they're trying to build consensus uh, around this issue. But uh, one thing that's obviously going to come to a head is a lack of resources that the state has. Uh, with hundreds of millions of dollars going to uh, housing and health care, you know, the state's got a lot of other priorities from pensions to education to early childhood development. Uh, these things could easily get squeezed out if the costs for migrant care continues to balloon, as is the trajectory moving forward. A couple of points there, Greg. Um, one, going back to the dispute between uh, Governor Pritzker and Republicans in the legislature regarding whether these are illegal immigrants, um, undocumented migrants who are seeking sanctuary status. One thing that's changed under the Biden administration, too, is it doesn't matter how weak your sanctuary claim might be. They're releasing these folks in mass into the country, whereas previous administrations would have just been denied them entry in the country whatsoever. The Biden administration, you know, unless you have a criminal record or you're a known gang, gang member or known someone who's on the terror watch list, a known or suspected terrorist, of which, of the, which there's been hundreds and hundreds, thousands actually since Biden first got in office, uh, unless you're one of the, you know, you're identified as one of those, you're being let in regardless of the validity of your asylum claim. So, so there's that. Second, one thing you you, re- you referenced, you know, are these other issues going to get crowded out because this has become such a crisis? You, know, you also, in terms of education, you've got the uh, school choice scholarship program that ended December 31st that some were calling on the legislature to uh, uh, to address in the veto session um, uh, last late last fall. They did not do that. That hasn't even been discussed yet coming into this session. Yeah, and obviously uh, the the budget uh, and uh, any prospects of there being potential deficits uh, and and the priorities that uh, legislators and the governor uh, are going to have. These are all things that this week really didn't get addressed. They just simply gaveled in and gaveled out uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and they canceled Thursday's session. Uh, so clearly, they, they've got a lot on their plate, and uh, it's going to be an interesting session. We'll be covering it all from gavel to gavel and beyond at thecentersquare.com. 
I want to talk about one one other legislative issue just briefly, uh, though, Greg. There was a, a committee hearing this week on a task force that was created a couple of years ago, the Local Journalism Task Force. Local newspapers, for example, they've been struggling for years, essentially going back to the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. Advertising revenue has gone online. They've been struggling. There is a legislative task force that I'm, that that was created by the legislature, but that has also has non-elected officials on it, including members of the media. Tell us what's the, they're looking to give tax breaks to like local newspapers and what, what's going on with that. Yeah, so they have a series of different proposals uh, they say could help uh, with what is considered to be a um, a lack of local journalists, journalists covering local government. And they ha- have the local journalism task force created, uh, and they developed a report uh, using a, a variety of different sources and interviews with experts on media and journalism. Uh, and they found that uh, Illinois is leading the nation in the number of newspaper reports reporters that have been laid off. Uh, And they also found that there are a large number of Illinois counties that have no media outlet. Uh, And uh, the concern is, of course, if you have an ill-informed public, then they're not going to be as apt to take part in elections. They're not going to be as knowledgeable about how their tax dollars are being spent, uh, or uh, they may just be uh, you know, falling into despotism in general. Uh, and uh, they, they, they say that this all is not good for democracy. Uh, so after laying out all of these specifics of the report's findings, uh, they then uh, proceeded to lay out some of their policy proposals they say could foster more local journalists. And uh, some of that includes ensuring that uh, people subscribe to their local news outlets by giving individuals uh, a tax credit for if they subscribe to their local newspapers, for instance. Uh, There's also uh, advertising set aside that they're thinking of putting out there or tax credits for businesses that advertise with local media. They're also looking at the relationship of social media, sharing of content uh, from legacy media outlets and the revenue impacts there. But there's also that idea of having grants available, be it from you know various foundations or possibly even having some state taxpayer grants available for media organizations. What was interesting, though, Dan, during this news conference where the local journalism task force uh, laid out their findings and their suggestions, uh, State Senator Don DeWitt, a Republican on the task force, He took to the podium and uh, talked about the concerns he had about this entire conversation, saying that uh, the First Amendment and free speech and free press rights, those are, uh, you know, very important. And he was also uh, sharing his concern that any conversation about possibly giving state tax dollars to subsidize media, uh, it could lead to a... um, uh, a, a, an unsavory relationship between that media outlet and the states that's giving them tax dollars. Uh, so clearly there's uh, there's going to be more conversation about all of this. But one question I had about was, uh, you know, competition. Uh, and in a free market, you've got competition out there where, you know, one radio station may not be managed well in a local market. The other radio station across the street is managed well. Uh, so clearly it's a, it's an issue of, of competition and whether or not the state is going to take part in any effort of picking winners and losers in the landscape of journalism. 
So the questions also are, what defines a journalist? What defines a local outlet? Uh, is, uh, is, is solutions journalism, uh, eligible for these types of, uh, you know, considerations? Uh, these are all things that they may take up throughout the session this spring. Uh, as, uh, Democrat State Senator Steve Stottleman, a former TV reporter turned uh, elected official, uh, he says this is paramount and he's going to be pushing for some kind of uh, set of policies uh, to address what he says is a uh, fundamental challenge to democracy. Yeah, not to, not to even mention, Greg, you know, it's a whole new world of media. Independent journalists are launching their own websites covering news, both locally and, and you know, statewide, nationwide, etc. Do they qualify? It's a slippery slope. And as you said, a lot of questions to be answered. Greg, let's move on. Let's Lots of more developments in the ongoing legal battle over the state's what now is a one-year-old ban on more than 170 semi-automatic guns, rifles, and, and certain accessories. The ban also includes a registry of individuals who own the now banned guns that they purchased before the law went into effect just about a year ago. The Joint Committee on Administrative Rules, a legislative committee made up of uh, an equal number of Democrats and Republicans, they met this week and they approved permanent rules for the gun ban and registry despite an objection to those rules also being approved. Tell us about that. Yeah, and it's uh, it's kind of convoluted and confusing when we start talking about administrative rules. And typically, these types of things go by the wayside uh, when when reporting on state laws. But when a state law is created and it directs a, a executive agency to enforce or to implement a law, the executive agency has to come forward with rules to govern how the law is to be executed. Uh, and with a gun ban. Very much that was the case. They had to put together rules, Illinois State Police, about the gun ban and the registry. And they put in emergency rules in mid-September for the registry that opened October 1st. The registry was supposed to be open October 1st to January 1st of this year. And uh, we, of course, had a lot of confusion. There were public hearings. There were questions that were unanswered as to, you know, some of the things in the rules. Uh, but after multiple JCAR hearings, the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules hearings, where Republicans attempted to, uh, you know, block the rules from going into place, they didn't have the supermajority vote on that committee to block the rules. And that also happened on Tuesday. There was a motion to try to prohibit the emergency rules from becoming permanent rules. They did not get the required number of votes. They would have needed two Democrats to join with the Republicans on this committee in order to prohibit the rules from going into effect. But what they were able to do, Republicans were able to get all six of their members to outnumber the five Democrats that are that showed up. Apparently, one Democrat was not in attendance. So that gave the Republicans the ability to officially get a motion to object to the rules to pass. So they had that six vote threshold needed. What that does, though, it just simply puts the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules on record saying that they officially object to the rules. And that motion included language saying the rules are too vague. Uh, people can't understand them. It's not good for the, the public with these vague rules. Uh, but again, that's just merely on the record, them saying they object to the rules despite the rules going into effect. What I've been told is that can actually be used by courts evaluating the law to have the court say, well, the legislative body objected to these rules because they're not clear. 
Uh, so that could have a have a, some kind of sway in a court of law where Dan, as we've been covering at the center and will continue to cover this law is still very much challenged. Well, as usual, Greg, thank you for all your insight into these uh, into these issues. Um, with legislative session underway, uh, listeners can keep up with all of our coverage on what the legislature is working on, on the migrant crisis, as we talked about earlier, on the gun restrictions and the legal fight over those restrictions at thecentersquare.com. But we are out of time. For Greg Bishop, I'm Dan McCaleb. Please subscribe. Thank you for listening.